Support for Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. The office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. It's today explained. I'm Sean Ramos for him. Four years ago, Donald Trump from reality TV won the presidency, and our shared reality hasn't been the same since. The relentless pace of headlines, controversies, and tweets has rendered the country divided at present and unable to fully recollect the past. I've seen the tweet about tapes. Lordy, I hope there are tapes. We struggled to remember what this president said or did last month, let alone in 2017. This October, leading up to the 2020 election, we're gonna help you remember. In the coming weeks, we're bringing you The Trump Years, a series that looks back on what Donald Trump did during his four years as president of the United States and what it means for the future of the American political experiment. On today's show, The Deregulator, in chief. Matthew Iglesias, host of the Weeds podcast from Vox. There's always a lot of focus on an American president's first hundred days. Of course, with Donald Trump, no one really knew what to expect. What did we learn about this reality TV president in the first three or so months? We learned really two things. One is that there was going to be a tremendous emphasis on somewhat under-the-radar changes in regulatory policy. If you have a regulation you want, number one, we're not going to approve it because it's already been approved probably in 17 different forms. But if we do, the only way you have a chance is we have to knock out two regulations for every new regulation. So if there's a new regulation, they have to knock out two. 
that's a lot of what he did in the first hundred days. And looking back on the whole first term, that's a lot of what he's accomplished. The other thing we learned is that a lot of these things did not get much attention because there is so much going on. It feels like there's been a constant din of news, and relatively little of that news has been about the Administrative Procedure Act. But if you want to know how Trump has impacted people's lives, how he's really changed things in the country, regulatory changes are just a really huge share of that. Well, let's give it some attention. Where do we start? So he confirmed Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. I want to thank the president for nominating me. Which people do know about. But Gorsuch is a very significant figure in regulatory law, a very deregulatory uh, justice. Uh, But then he also used the Congressional Review Act to undo Obama-era regulations at an unprecedented pace. Over the last uh, several weeks, we've been using the Congressional Review Act or what is known as CRAs, to take action on the explosion of Obamacare regulations. Hundreds and hundreds of pages of regulations that we've seen hurting families, destroying jobs all across the country. It's a relatively new law, but it was used very rapidly by by Trump and Congress. And he set the wheels in motion on things like the Muslim ban, on withdrawing from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but also really a big move to sort of reverse a lot of regulation in the environmental sphere and of the financial regulation that the Obama administration had done. Before I came into office, American workers were smothered by merciless avalanche of wasteful and expensive and intrusive federal regulation. These oppressive, burdensome mandates were a stealth tax on our people, slashing take-home pay, suppressing innovation, surging the cost of goods, and shipping millions of American jobs overseas. Millions and millions and millions. It never ended. Obviously, whenever a Republican is replaced by a Democrat or vice versa, there's a certain amount of, you know, back and forth and and ping-ponging. George W. Bush had what was commonly called the anything but Clinton policy, and Ronald Reagan removed those solar panels from the White House Jimmy Carter had installed. But with Trump, there was a pretty unusual amount. I mean, the Congressional Review Act volume was unprecedented. There's just been an incredible scope of changes. He's he's reversed over a hundred separate environmental rules. We could do a whole show just probably rattling off their names. Uh, but some of the big ones are fuel efficiency in cars and toxins in fertilizer, something called the Waters of the United States Act, which would have sort of expanded the scope of, you know, clean drinking water type regulation. And is one of the rules most strongly opposed by farmers, ranchers, and agricultural workers all across our land. It's prohibiting them from being allowed to do what they're supposed to be doing. It's been a disaster. A really important thing is that they've changed how cost-benefit analysis is done around air pollution. A lot of science has been piling up to show that air pollution is more harmful than we had previously realized. What is this pollution from power plants that we have heard so much about? They basically don't want that whole genre of research to count. Uh, They've also moved regulations that are supposed to reduce the levels of carcinogenic, potentially brain-damaging toxins that are being discharged into American waterways and and lakes. Uh, There was very early on, there was a decision not to move forward with a rule against some kind of fertilizer that scientists think is is harmful to to people's brains. And most of this has gotten very little attention. Uh, Some of it, of course, relates to climate change, but a lot of it is not directly focused on climate. And there hasn't been antics 
around this kind of thing. Scott Pruitt was involved in a fair number of scandals, and so he got attention. Trying to use his position to get his wife a Chick-fil-A franchise, trying to get a used mattress from the Trump International Hotel, using staff to run errands, to buy lotion. But the sort of ongoing regulatory shift that started in the first 100 days very intensely and has continued, you know, through to fall of 2020 has been a a really big substantive change and not a huge media focus. How did the deregulation from Donald Trump and his administration at the federal level affect what was going on at the state level? So California was trying to enact stricter emission standards than the federal standard. This is something they've done before. They essentially use the large size of the California market to try to be a lever to drive change nationally. And Trump has moved to stop that. Um, car manufacturers even said, like, they they would comply with the California standards. They kind of wanted peace in the regulatory infighting so that they could make plans and, and do some kind of cars. The Trump administration hasn't done that. And, and he's also sort of put a halt on the idea of moving forward. He's made it clear, like, they don't want to hear from anyone, any scientists, any lawyers, about new rules or new things that need to be regulated. You mentioned financial deregulation as well. Trump promised to repeal Dodd-Frank. Did he get that done? He did not. The legislation I'm signing today rolls back the crippling Dodd-Frank regulations that are crushing community banks and credit unions nationwide. They were in such trouble. In 2018, he signed a law that kept the whole structure of the Dodd-Frank law in place, but it really narrowed the number of institutions that it applies to. So a lot of sort of big regional banks got out from under these rules. Uh, And he's also done new regulatory interpretations. He's revised, it was called the Volcker Rule, which was supposed to make banks take less risks. He revised something else called the Supplementary Leverage Rule. After the financial crisis, people thought banks should not make so many risky bets because we've learned that when the bets go bad, the taxpayers are left holding the bag. And Trump has really let risky banking come back while leaving some of the the big structure of Dodd-Frank in place. Is it worth asking what his motivations were here on environmental and financial deregulation? You know, I mean, I don't want to say I can read Donald Trump's mind, uh, but fundamentally, you know, despite a lot of populist rhetoric, this is a rich businessman. He knows a lot of other rich businessmen. He owns golf clubs where rich businessmen are the members, and he is very sympathetic to their views. Business executives, particularly in finance and energy sectors, they were really upset with the Obama administration. Um, They did not like these regulations. They really wanted them done away with. And it's just been a huge priority of the Trump administrations. Is it too soon to talk about the long-term impacts of the deregulation or, you know, positive or negative? You know, so when you let people pollute more, uh, the pollution happens right away. The health impacts of that sometimes only show up over the longer term, although sometimes, you know, you you see it quite quickly. Uh, The financial deregulation is tougher, right? Because... In any given year, it's unlikely that you'll see a financial crisis. But if you go from sort of one in a thousand odds to one in a hundred odds, you've actually made the economy much more unstable. But 
Nobody's going to know until it all blows up. And and to me, as somebody who covered the financial crisis and covered the Dodd-Frank debates, it's really kind of shocking how much we just all stopped paying attention to this once Trump became president. Uh, it, it used to be that people rightly felt it was very important to have a regulated banking sector. Uh, Trump came in, he's, he's allowed a lot more risk in the financial system, and there just hasn't been much talk about it. After the break, we move past all the stuff Trump undid and talk about the one big thing he, you know, did. Support for Che Explain comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Matthew, we talked about what he undid. What did he did? The, the tax cuts, huh? That, that was the biggie? The 2017 tax bill is clearly the, the biggest single policy achievement of the Trump administration. On January 1, Americans are going to wake up with a new tax code. In February, they're going to see withholdings go down so they see bigger paychecks. And April 15th will be the last day they have to comply with the old bad system. What they did is they they created a, a big reduction in the corporate income tax rate. They partially offset that by closing some loopholes. They did some cuts in the individual taxes. For example, if you stand to inherit a fortune that is worth um, tens of millions of dollars. I don't. But if you are among that lucky group, uh, Trump delivered a really significant cut in the taxes you'll pay. Then he made some changes to the deductibility of state and local taxes to how mortgage loans are treated in taxes. He increased the size of the child tax credit and a a big cut in the taxes owed by multinational corporations that have lots of foreign profits. Is this like trickle-down economics or something, or did he have another name for it? (laughs) Um, I would say the theory of it is that 
taxing corporations reduces investment. And so that if you do a big corporate tax cut, you're going to see much more business investment in the United States. And then because of all this investment, we're all going to end up better off. It means jobs, 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 jobs. So it's going to be really a very special period of time. We're in a very special period of time, and it's going to be even more so. There has not been a ton of evidence that that actually occurred. Uh, The economy grew until coronavirus struck, but it grew at basically the same pace it had been growing with Obama. There was no, like, obvious inflection point. Uh, What actually happened is that uh, companies became much more profitable. The tax cuts weren't beloved by Democrats. Might a Biden presidency uh, mean the reversal of these tax cuts or a sort of about face on them? I think we're going to see the sort of traditional policy dialogue. So when Obama was president, he raised taxes, particularly on the wealthy. This is not class warfare. It's math. Trump cut taxes, particularly on the wealthy, but he didn't exactly reverse what Obama had done. And if Biden comes in, if he becomes president, taxes on the rich will go up again, but the corporate tax rate won't go all the way up to where it was uh, before Trump's presidency because they're going to keep some of the loophole closings that Trump did. Similarly, on on the individual front, Democrats disagree a little bit about exactly how they want to proceed here. But directionally, Democrats will reverse the the spirit of cutting taxes on the rich, but they're not going to exactly undo what it is Trump did because, frankly, they agree with parts of it. Particularly on the corporate side, right? So what Trump did was he closed a lot of tax loopholes the Democrats thought should be closed. And then he just cut the rate way, 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 way down. So Democrats are going to keep those loopholes closed, and then they're going to raise the rate back up, but they're not going to put it all the way back up to where it was before. And what about the rest of of the picture, the the deregulation environmentally, financially? It doesn't seem like Biden wants to undo Trump's undoes. It seems like he wants to do even more. Yeah, particularly on the environmental front, uh, Biden's agenda, I mean, it'll depend how much support he gets in Congress for it, uh, but is to go in in a much more aggressive way. I mean, he has regulatory ideas, but Biden also has big investment commitments on the climate front. Transforming the electrical sector power to produce power without carbon pollution. It'll be the greatest spur to job creation and economic competitiveness in the 21st century. On the financial front, I think some of Trump's deregulation may just stick uh, because attention to that topic has waned away a little bit and bank lobbyists are pretty powerful. And it's not uh, it's not obvious to me that what Trump has done is going to get undone. That's so interesting to me. Like, he wanted to undo all this stuff and cut taxes. He was, it sounds like, pretty successful at it. Why doesn't he talk more about these accomplishments? He spends so much time spinning up conspiracy theories and dog whistling on Law & Order when he actually has concrete achievements. So Trump talks about deregulation in a general kind of way uh, because his polling on, quote-unquote, the economy is strong. So he'll say, you know, he deregulated and the economy went great. Nearly four years ago, we ended this regulatory assault on the American worker and we launched the most dramatic regulatory relief campaign in American history by far. No other administration has done anywhere near He doesn't talk a lot in specific terms. He doesn't try to position himself as somebody who 
finally let them make riskier investments. And he almost never talks about his tax law because it was very unpopular. I mean, everything that's happened, you know, George Floyd, pandemic, impeachment. uh, When you go back and look at it, the low point in his approval rating was when Congress was debating that tax bill. Nothing that has happened since then has been less popular than that tax law. So, you know, the president will talk about police or or almost anything other than his single biggest legislative achievement. How rare is that for for a president's single biggest legislative achievement being the thing that that president is least interested in talking about during an election year? It's definitely strange, right? I mean, presidents do things that they try to run away from to an extent, uh, but it's a real paradox of the Trump era that the central pillar of his policymaking, this tax law, has been so absent from his political self-presentation, right? He does politics as a culture war figure, but there are trillions of dollars at stake in federal tax policy. Um, He did this very unpopular law, presumably because he and his team really believe in it. It's what they really want to do. Um, They are here to make corporate America more lightly taxed. He would have a much stronger chance of winning if he did popular stuff on the tax front, but he he doesn't like to talk about it. You know, I wonder, all told, you know, deregulator, tax cutter, did, did he end up being better at undoing what Obama did or proposing new things? I mean, it's much more a reverser of things that annoyed some people about the Obama administration. Trump has not been a very successful, constructive policymaker. With Obama, we had Obamacare. There's no Trump anything, right? There's, there's, no, there's no compound verb. There's no... Uh, equivalent of the Reagan revolution that like switched our understanding of how the government and the economy and individuals will relate. He's been this very dominant figure in the news who has done a lot of stuff. Um, It feels like a very consequential time that we're living through. But as a kind of constructive policymaker who puts new things in place and we say, okay, 50 years from now, we'll look back at Donald Trump and the creation of X, right? There's no X there. Matthew Iglesias. He writes about the economy here at Vox. He also wrote a book this year. It just came out. It's called One Billion Americans. It's a case for keeping the country strong by continuing to build up and to have lots of babies, too. You can find it wherever you find your books. We're going to continue this series throughout the month of October. You can find more on the Trump years at Vox.com slash Trump years. Next week, America First. It's Today Explained. And now, the ones we lost along the way. Kevin McAleenan, resigned. John Bolton, fired. Rick Perry. And I said, Mr. President, I know there are people that say, you know, you, you said you were the chosen one. Uh, and and I, I said, you were. Resigned. Dan Coates, resigned. Alexander Acosta, resigned. Sarah Sanders. Can you uh, state uh, for the record uh, which outlets 
uh, that you and the president uh, regard as uh, the enemy of the people? Uh, I'm not going to walk through a list, but I think uh, those individuals probably know who they are. Resigned. Kirsten Nielsen. Resigned. Scott Gottlieb. Resigned. John Kelly. He was sort of a tough guy. By the time he got eaten up in this world, it's a different world than he was used to, he was unable to function. Fired. Bill Shine. Resigned. Ryan Zinke. Resigned. Nikki Haley. Resigned. James Mattis. I do stand before you, as was noted here, uh, really uh, having achieved greatness. I mean, I'm not just an overrated general. I am the greatest, the world's most overrated. Resigned. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 